is there any activity more crucial is there any activity more central to to the life of a christian than prayer is there any activity more discouraging in the life of a christian than prayer If we're honest with ourselves, all of us here this morning need help with prayer. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us struggle with prayer. We struggle to get up to pray. We struggle to stay awake praying. We struggle to feel connected to God. We struggle with distractions. We wish we'd prayed or from our heart, or something. We wish we prayed better, and we don't know what better means. We wish we prayed more consistency, consistently. In fact, one pastor several years ago reflected on his own prayer life, a pastor. And he said, this is transparent, quotes, how can something I'm so bad at be God's will for my life? End quotes. Well, so we go to the books, we read books on prayer, and those books on prayer tend to bury us with further guilt and shame about our prayer lives, to be honest with you. I think we need help. And I think we need to look to Jesus for help. And I think in looking to Jesus for help in prayer, I think we can maybe move away from the guilt and the shame and move into the sphere of hope because of Jesus when it comes to prayer. Because God in Christ has invited us through the split veil to approach Him in prayer. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure. It's the sports, it is the source of spiritual power. And so we all know that we need to pray. We know that it's important, but we have so much growing to do. Is that not your heart? I'm going to say that again. We all need, know we need to pray. We all need that it, we know it's important, but we have so much growing to do, and we really want to go there. Right? We really want to go there. We need help. We need a mentor in prayer. Can you imagine if you're a basketball player, college basketball player, and Michael Jordan is assigned to mentor you in how to do a fadeaway jump shot? Not very many basketball players in here. Let me try another illustration. Can you imagine being, maybe this isn't good either, <laughs> can you imagine being involved in a physics class and having your mentor be Albert Einstein? Or imagine if you're taking a writing in college or university years ago and years and years and years ago and Charles Dickens is giving you tips on your paper. I mean, those are some good mentors. Well, we need help with prayer. We need a mentor. We need someone to teach us to pray. And guess who our mentor is? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11 and find verse 1. If you want to learn to pray, dear brother, dear sister, if you want to learn to pray, who are you going to ask? Who would be the best person to ask? And the answer is Jesus. For the likes of us, 
maybe at this point in our walk with Christ, where we're at in our, in our lives, all the chaos in this world, and in our culture, sometimes in our church, and our families, all of that happening all at once, perhaps the first prayer, perhaps the best prayer, is certainly just this. It's a prayer. Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. This is precisely the request that the disciples asked Jesus in Luke chapter 11. Look at it in verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples, where they were isn't important, who asked isn't important, prayer is important. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And so then we move, before I read further, we're going to move into the famous Lord's Prayer, maybe best called the Disciples' Prayer. And just so I can answer your immediate question, I want to emphasize that Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, during the Sermon on the Mount, is a little bit longer than Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And I think Kevin DeYoung is right that quotes a a simple explanation is that Jesus, like any itinerant preacher, taught on the same things over and over with different words and in slightly different ways, end quotes. So let's not get worked up about that. I will say this, my approach will be to, to preach Luke's version of the disciples' prayer, not Matthew's, because I think Luke has also a reason for putting this prayer right here with the words that he does in its context. So, keep that in mind as we move forward. And we know that Luke has a purpose for dropping the teaching on prayer right here in Luke chapter 11, because remember the last sermon that we had in the book of Luke is the idea of Jesus setting his face like flint to go to the Jerusalem and they're beginning to travel, it's a bit cyclical. Luke's not too concerned about the geography of that travel towards Jerusalem, but the thought of it and the theological implications of it. And so here they are, the last passage, they are with, they are with, Jesus comes into town and Mary and Martha are there and Martha's scurrying around and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and he, and she is listening to his word, listening to his teaching. That wonderful teaching that falls off the lips out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first teaching that Luke means to put in front of us, that we are to sit and listen to then, is teaching from Jesus on prayer. I don't think it's a mistake. And a disciple asks very passionately, Lord, teach us to pray. And let's see then what comes out of the mouth of Jesus. I'm going to need some water. If a deacon can grab me some water, please. Let's see what teaching comes out of the mouth of Jesus in verse 2. Follow along as I read from 2 through 13. Thank you, brother. Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And then Jesus responds in verse 2. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, And I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, 
Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, be being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We are going to look at this passage, verses 1 through 13, put your seatbelt on, in a seven-part series on prayer. Because we need it. We need it. We're going to slow down. We're going to look at this. Soak in the truth because nothing could be more important than we as Christians learn to pray. Nothing could be more important than dads in their families leading their wives and families in prayer. Nothing could be more important than this church recognizing together as one that it's time to seek the Lord together in prayer. And so we're going to take our time and closely look at this wonderful section uh, in the book of Luke on prayer we're going to look today at the principles of prayer at the beginning just to get started. And then we're going to go slowly through the uh, section on the petitions or of prayer, those requests, the petitions of prayer. And then we're going to look at the parable on prayer after that. So that's what we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. Today we look at the principles. There are five. And you have a bulletin insert Kids, if you want to take notes, this one's too easy to promise your parents ice cream. If you get right, I'll leave that between you and them. I hope it tasted good last week. The first principle of prayer is this. We pray necessarily. We pray necessarily, or we could put it differently, we pray out of necessity. Verse 1, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, and then he moves on. We pray out of necessity. Let me ask you a question. Kids, I want you to answer this question. Okay, at least shout it out if you want. Look at verse 1. Who was praying in verse 1? Adults, pay attention to this. Who was praying in verse 1? It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus was praying? Yes. Jesus took time to pray. Yes, Jesus rose early to pray. Yes, Jesus secluded Himself to pray. Jesus, if we're just going to think about the book of Luke, what we've learned so far about this, about Jesus and his prayers. Jesus was praying. He was, he was praying when he was baptized by the Spirit. Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus also was baptized. And 
while he was praying, heaven, while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And in Luke 5, verse 16, the text says that Jesus himself, and it's emphatic, Luke wants us to see it, he didn't have to say himself, because he could have said Jesus prayed. He said Jesus himself. Wow, Jesus himself prayed? Yes, Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. He slipped alone to get alone with His God, with His Father. And in Luke chapter 6, the next chapter, verse 12, it was at this time that He went off to the mountain to pray and He spent the whole night in prayer to God. And what did Jesus do at the end of that long night? Well, He chose twelve disciples. He needed wisdom in respect to His humanity. He needed to be directed by God in respect to His humanity. He had a big vision and plan from God and He needed to be directed and so He prayed all night before the selection of the twelve. Wow. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, and it happened that while He was praying alone, the disciples were with him, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> he's praying alone. You, you can read into that all you want, but you know, he's trying to get alone. These guys. The disciples were with him, and, and maybe they're off in a distance, and, and he questioned them while he was praying. He questioned them, saying, Who do people say that I am? And, and Jesus is in prayer right before, and the first time in this book, he's ready to disclose himself before Peter's great confession. And for the first time in the moment of prayer, in the moment of this disclosure of who he is to the mouth of Peter himself, Jesus says for the first time the shocking statement, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And then right after this, literally just a few days after that, in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, some eight days after these sayings, He took along Peter and John and James and He went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, and none of this happens to me, like the, the glowing part when I'm praying, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, many of the texts that would ever come to me come during a time of prayer. I'm interrupted and I just do it. I think it's your, our experience. I think it's amazing how the Lord works. They're up there. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. And then you know what happened? Jesus is transfigured before them. He's talking with Moses. He's talking with Elijah. And his face shone. And there's a foretaste of the glory of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they're speaking about the departure, the exodus that he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Just before he sets his face to go there. Of the exodus of the, uh, uh, his people that he would free them from the exodus and bondage of sin and slavery. And he's talking about the cross with Moses and Elijah in the midst of prayer and a sneak peek of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. All of these events in the context of prayer because in respect to His humanity, He depended upon His heavenly Father for wisdom. In respect to His humanity, He begged His heavenly Father for continued physical strength. In respect to His humanity, at turning points in His ministry, when decisions needed to be made and actions needed to be taken, the God-man prayed. The God-man got by Himself and prayed. 
And if Jesus devoted Himself to prayer, if Jesus, if it was, if it was a necessity for the God-man to pray, if the God-man prayed out of necessity, how much more do we need to pray? And how much more is prayer necessary for us? So first then, we pray necessarily. Well, we're starting to get the shame and the guilt all stacked up real good here at the first point. So let's move on to point number two. Which is this. Right in the text. Praise God for it. We pray weekly. W-E-A-K-L-Y. Maybe it's true the other one too, but... We pray W-E-A. Weekly. We're weak. We, we really do. Here's the point. We really do struggle to pray. Look at verse 1 again. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, real nice of them to let Him finish this time, after He had finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. They must have overheard it just as John also taught his disciples. Luke wants to highlight, this is an unusual request. Jesus, teach us this, or Jesus, teach us that. You won't see it hardly anywhere in the recording of God's Word. Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. Yes. But Jesus, teach us is a unique way that Luke puts, puts this. And it shows the heart of the disciples. They're hearing Him and they're going... And it's not me. Anybody there? Lord, teach us to pray. We need to be taught. We're struggling. Most days we're not doing well. We're not sure how to pray. We're not sure what to pray. We'd like to pray like you, Jesus. We'd like to pray like you. We fall so short. We desire to pray. We want to pray better. But we just can't even... I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane is sleeping. Well, Jesus sweats drops of blood in prayer. He's struggling in prayer. We can't do it. Indeed, brothers and sisters, prayer is not natural. Prayer is can be learned. We need to grow in prayer. Does your flesh like to pray? Come on. Raise your hand if your flesh, that's you, loves to pray. Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> the flesh doesn't like to pray. It's hard. The world is distracting us. The phones are distracting us. All the forces of hell itself are trying to keep us from praying. And in the Greek text, I'm not going to get into it, but the urgent, Lord, teach us to pray. It's an urgent construction in the original language. Just teach us to pray. There's an urgency here. Do you feel the urgency in your own life that you pray weekly and you just want to pray better? Lord, teach me to pray. And I love the heart of Christ who doesn't just shove this teaching down unwilling throats who are not ready to feel their own need in their heart and then bring it up on their own. Don't you just love that? That's a whole sermon about discipleship and patience. The superpower in pastoral ministry is patience, says Dan Miller, my mentor, one of them. Look, Christ doesn't shove this. He's like, ah, oh. he probably had a little smile on his face. They want it. It's coming from their heart. They sense a need. And then He moves to teach and He helps and He guides them so gently. He doesn't say, you guys are so terrible at praying. Why can't you just stay awake? Why don't you just leave me alone? It's not the heart of Christ in the way He teaches us. So there's a leading by example in the ministry of Christ. And then He moves on to teach as a response to our need. And Mary desires to hear from when we get to sit at His feet and listen to Luke chapter 11. To listen to His Word. And to listen to Him answer the plea, Lord, help us. We pray so weakly. Help us. Teach us. 
to pray. So I think what's going to be so amazing as we work through the next few weeks that these are the words of Christ and I am asking, pleading that the Holy Spirit would make this real and just a life changer for us in this church. That we would, that we would, that the prayer would be answered, that He will have taught us to pray more and more as we gather through this sermon series. We pray so very weakly. Now, this is interesting, and let me just unpack this for a moment. Why are they asking this? Well, they... Well, what's interesting is the disciples are just not well taught about prayer. Now think about the implications of that. They see Jesus seeking God, His Father, with the blood earnestness. Sometimes He sweat it. That they just haven't seen, modeled at all. Because the way Jesus prays is not so much differently from the godly saints and men and women in the Old Testament. But it was so much different than the religious leaders of the day on which was, the, was their training up to that point, of everybody's training. Lord, we don't, you, you're going to have to teach us to pray like John. John the Baptist. Now he could pray like you, Lord. Teach us. He taught his disciples. It's time for us. We need it. Teach us to pray. Somehow John the Baptist, I bet Anna, I bet Simeon, there were some Old Testament saints that I could, as we read the accounts, they could pray. So when you think about prayer in the Old Testament, and you had a hint from our Scripture reading, who do you think about? Daniel. They said, don't pray or we're going to do stuff to you. It's going to be bad. He said, watch this. Opened up his window. Prayed three times as was his custom. And then in our Scripture reading, Daniel's praying. And I just want to remind you of his prayer. So let me just... Just listen to his prayer. I want you to close your eyes. Just do it. Humor me. And listen to his prayer. Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and even turned aside from Your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, and then he goes on to say, Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against You. But to the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him. Nor, we have, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His teachings which He set before us through His servants, the prophets. And then later on in the prayer, O oh Lord, in accordance with all Your righteous acts, let now Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now our God, listen to the prayer of Your servant and to His supplications. And for Your sake, O Lord, let Your face shine on Your desolate sanctuary. O oh my God, incline Your ear and hear. Open Your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by Your name. For we are not... Listen to this New Testament concept, we think. For we are not presenting our supplications before You on account of any merits of our own, but on account of Your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear! Oh Lord, forgive! Oh Lord, listen and take action for Your own sake. Oh my God, do not delay because Your city and Your people are called by Your name. 
and they're saying, hey, teach us to pray like John the Baptist and you pray. We're not hearing it from our leaders. And then there's 400 what years? Silent years. where God did not speak to man and I would say and as a by and large, men did not speak to God. 400 silent years and there were always exceptions. God had His people. We know from the book of Matthew that the religious leaders would pray out loud. Oh, they would pray out loud, look around, get the prominent part of the temple. They'd raise their hands up. They'd look to make sure they were seen. They'd put on a show. They wanted to be seen by men. And they'd pray these long prayers full of vain recognition. And this is what the disciples and those people saw from their spiritual leaders. And it's not what, it's not what Daniel did. It's not what the greater Daniel did. And so they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. We don't want to pray with this externalism, with this heartlessness and this showiness. It's just so not real, Lord. We want to pray from our hearts. Like you cried out to your Father. Lord, teach us to pray. So we can grow in prayer. That's probably the most exciting thing I've said all morning. We can grow in prayer with the disciples. Prayer is oftentimes best caught than taught. And I remember being in Chicago. I took a church history class there in Chicago many years ago, maybe 18 and a half years, 19 years ago. And Church, great church history class. I remember um, learning about Martin Luther. And I learned a lot about prayer from the life of Luther. I learned that Luther would pray out loud. He said we pray best when we pray out loud. So I began to pray out loud. And I have not stopped since in my prayer times. I pray out loud. I learn from others. And then I learned from Professor Don Whitney about the importance of praying Scripture and how I, I can come to the Word of God, maybe underline some things in my devotions, and then pray those right back to God. And it changed and helped me through that mentor to grow in prayer. And then I always would listen to my old pastor. He's with the Lord now. His name was Lloyd Johnson, former pastor of Twin Cities Bible Church. And I just loved to listen to him pray. You know why? Because he didn't have that prayer voice. He didn't have, you know... He pleaded with God. He hid under the shadow of the cross. He was specific and bold in his prayer. And I learned by listening to his prayers. My point is this. We really do struggle in prayer. We long to pray better. But it's okay. We need not be filled with shame when we read Daniel's prayer and go, I can't do that. Lord, teach us to pray with the heart. The heart of Daniel. The heart of John the Baptist, the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is like, oh, oh good. They're ready. And He's ready to teach. And He's always been modeling. Good. So we, play, we pray uh, very weakly. And number three then, we pray corporately. We pray corporately. I just want you to see this. I'm not going to make a big point of this today. But kids, look at verse 1. In your... In the Bible, Lord, teach, does it say, teach me to pray, teach us to pray, teach them to pray? What is the pronoun? Teach us. It's plural. Oh, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your king, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. We ourselves, us, our it's corporate. We think so individually as American citizens, it seems like a lot, so much. It's all about me, this prayer. Did you realize we pray corporately? We pray together. Yes, it's important to have private time with the Lord. Jesus sought to be alone, but he's teaching them to pray as brothers and sisters, and and that those prayer lessons will be fleshed out in the New Testament authors in corporate prayer in the life of the church. And so we have such an opportunity, just to make a quick point on this, to pray together as a church. Uh, when we come together for grace groups, we, leaders, you ought to pray. 
when we come together for Bible studies of various types, you ought to have times of prayer. When we, we gather for the first and third Wednesdays for our corporate prayer meeting, what a privilege it is to come to gather to pray this passage together. I know I don't want to come. You make us pray in groups and I don't want to talk in front of people. I would say, Lord, teach us to pray. Just come. Lord, help. Don't say anything. Agree with your brothers and sisters in prayer and just come and be a part and listen in. Don't let that be a stumbling block. Lord, teach us to pray. Fourth, the fourth principle, general principle, before we get started on the Lord's Prayer, is this. We pray expectantly. Number four, we pray expectantly. Expectantly. In other words, we pray the promises. We pray the promises. So let's look at the actual prayer for a second. Okay, look at verse 2. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Is God's name holy, yes or no? Is it? It's yes, right? And yet we what? Pray for it. Number two. Your kingdom come. Is Christ going to come back to rule and reign or not? And yet we... Oh, give us each day our daily bread. Has God, will God provide for you, dear brother and sister? And yet we... And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Is God going to forgive our sins, past, present, and future? And yet we? I'm going to have to spend a little time on that one. And lead us not in temptation. Is God going to protect us from the power of the evil one so that we make it safely home to heaven against all the world, the flesh, and the devil? How much? Yes? And yet we what? We pray expectantly. We pray the will of God. We pray the promises. And here's the deal, brothers and sisters. This makes sense of so much that we read about whatever you ask in My name, it will be given to you, Jesus says. And in the context, He's talking about praying Praying the will of God. And as you walk with the Lord and your heart is attuned to Him and His Word, more and more we will pray according to His will. His heartbeat will become our heartbeat. And the things that we desire the most in this life and we plead for Him because we want them will be the very things that He has promised in His Word. And so it's a general principle that we'll unpack as we go. But we pray expectantly. Now, let me say something about this, and maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to. One of the, the reasons that some people don't evangelize is they say if God has a people, you know, He'll get the job done without me. God has ordained the means to the end as well as the end itself. Therefore, He has ordained your prayers to accomplish His promises. Whoa! It's amazing. He's arranged things. He uses prayer like Kevin DeYoung says, I'll say this, He uses prayer just like He uses other means. He uses rain to grow crops, sun to warm the earth, food to strengthen the body in the same way God uses prayer to do His sovereign work. End quotes. Isn't it amazing? Get excited. Isn't it amazing that God uses the prayers of His people as part of the means for accomplishing the ends of the promises to His people? We, therefore, pray expectantly. We pray the promises. And whenever I'm on thin ice, I always quote Spurgeon, so I'll do it again. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, quotes, the same God that ordains to give a certain blessing is also ordained that we should pray for it. We do not expect to change the will of God, but we believe our prayer will be a part of His will, end quotes. And therefore, get excited, we pray expectantly. That's why we go to the Scriptures and then to prayer. We pray the Scriptures because we find in there all the promises are yes and amen in Him. Do you get the point? 
To start out, general principle, we pray expectantly. Finally, and shockingly, the fifth principle for prayer. We pray relationally. We pray to our Father. We pray to our Father. What is the very first word of the prayer in verse 2? When you pray, say what? Father. Father. It receives a measure of emphasis by the structure of this text, beginning with Father and, and then ending with it when he says in verse 11, now suppose one of you fathers. And he says, isn't God a better father? It, it's a major point. And let me just say it this way and write this down and we'll have to unpack it and think about it. The fatherhood of God is the foundation for all Christian prayer. The fatherhood of God is the foundation for all Christian prayer. In Aramaic, this word father comes to us with the intimate term of the day, Abba, a term of relational closeness and intimacy of relationship. Absolutely astounding and shocking in Jesus' day to address God as my father or father so intimately there's really no example, scholars tell us, in parallel literature of the, of the day in prayers. Even in the Old Testament, God was the Father of Israel, very common Old Testament image. But nowhere in the Old Testament is God, as one scholar says, addressed as Father in any personal prayer that we can see. But Jesus addresses God as Father, and He does so consistently. He does so shockingly. He does so annoyingly to the religious leaders of the day. He prays to God as His own Father with a relational intimacy and passion. And it just was so incredible. The intimate, personal fatherhood of God. And the one time He didn't address God as Father was when? When He hung upon the cross of Calvary and said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Fatherhood of God is the foundation for our prayer. Daddy, come on, the best prayer you've ever prayed. I need your help. Daddy, I need help. Father, I'm struggling. Father, how, how am I going to make ends meet? I need you. Father, forgive me. I can't believe I did it again. Drug your name through the mud at work. How do I make it right with them? Father, Forgive me for that. And some of the most detrimental aspects of our own personal prayer life is our difficulty in our relationship with our own Father sometimes. For so many different reasons. Is the Holy Spirit able to overcome that? He's going to have to because we can't by ourselves. Some of those hurts and scars needs God's grace to fix. To see in a right way, in a biblical way, just how wide. That's Paul's prayer in Ephesians. That you would be able, be given the power to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so he's, I'm off now. You know, he's talking about the position in Christ in chapters 1 through 3. And he's talking about the practice of how to walk following Christ in chapters 4 through 6. What is the one thing that connects the, the position and the practice in the book of Ephesians? It is prayer. And it's a prayer for what? Power. To know the love of God. The triune God. The whole thing of the book of Ephesians is triggered by prayer. The fatherhood of God is the foundation of prayer. Now, there's a sense in which God is the Creator, is the Father of all men, women, and children, but that's not what this text is getting at. Because there is a sense, yeah, as a Creator, He's your Father in that sense, but in a sense spiritually, you got one or two daddies. you got two to choose from. <laughs> and it ain't good. 
Either the devil is your daddy or the Father God is your father. You have two choices. Spiritually, that's true. And so what a spiritual privilege it is to be born again by the Spirit of God as John writes in John 1 verse 12 and 13. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So only Christians get to call God Father. This is a prayer for Christians. And Christians are the ones that need to be taught to pray. The only prayer, if you're not a Christian, that God will hear and open is, the Lord, I need You to be my Father. Please save me. Only Christians rejoice in John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Now make no mistake about it, if you're any kind of a dad at all, you love your kids, you love to watch them, oh, that was really good, but they swung the baseball bat even though it wasn't very good, and you just want to be with them and read to them and just be with them and hear their cries and have them sit on your lap. How much more, God? How much more? He loves for us to be needy. He loves for us to be dependent and to crawl up into His arms. He loves for us to ask, to want to be with Him. He wants us to trust Him. So foundationally then, prayer is not about us, but it's looking to God as Father and remembering I'm speaking to my Father. I can come to Him as a child. And I can be comforted that He loves me with an everlasting love. He's, he's not going like this and He's... He loves me. This God wants me to come near to Him in prayer. Listen, this God who created the universe, this God who split the sea, this God who glowed in the cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud, this God who closed the lion's mouth, this God who showed up to Daniel as the Ancient of Days, this God is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This God who holds the universe together by the word of His power. This God is your Father. And He wants you to call upon Him as your Father and draw near to Him in, as a Father. Let me say something obvious by now. You don't pray good enough and hard enough and do all this enough that someday hopefully He'll get to be your Father. No, He is your Father when you say you need Him and you trust in Him. You become His son. You become His daughter. You are a father. And then you pray out of the fatherhood of God. It's the Gospel, by the way. No wonder the Pharisees couldn't pray. They were trying to pray into the Father of God. To press God and to impress others. God's not impressed. So we pray because we are loved unconditionally, eternally, in grace and kindness. And if we're not certain, we need to remember the cross where God sent His Son and Jesus came and He died for our prayerlessness. He took upon our sin of prayerlessness upon the cross. And we ought to remember that day when the Spirit came and saw us squirming in our blood spiritually and brought us into His family, cleaned us up, clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. As we learned in Isaiah, we are the lifted ones. We are the carried ones. We have been brought into His family. We don't pray to earn love. We pray out of love. Oh, how this would change our prayer life if we understood that we pray relationally. We pray to our Father. So I would just say today, the first important thing is I would just say kids, adults, if you're listening online, I don't, whoever you are, this prayer is only for you. This prayer is only for you if God is your Father. If spiritually He's your Father. If you have been shown your sin, and God has shown you the glory, glories of Jesus Christ and that you have trusted in Jesus. And He's forgiven you and clothed you in His righteousness and, they, they, and 
has adopted you, the Father has adopted you into His family and made you an heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Then we're like, okay, how do we do this now? How do we pray? Lord, teach us to pray. This is a prayer for believers. So if you're not a believer, and if it sounds pretty good, to be loved with an everlasting love. If it sounds pretty good to be free from this guilt and this shame that you've carried all your life. If it sounds pretty good not to have to earn and earn and earn respect before others and righteousness before God and you're tired and sick of it, then today can be the day of salvation. You can simply come to Him and it can make it your first prayer of every other prayer. Say, God, I need You. I'm broken. I'm undone. I don't have it all figured out. Please save me. Make me. Bring me into Your house. Make me Your son. Make me Your daughter. If you would do that, you're going to get a lot more out of the next six sermons. So there are five principles about prayer that we need to get clearly settled in our hearts before we dig into the content of the Lord's Prayer and the parable to follow. They are this. We pray necessarily. We pray weekly. We pray corporately. We pray expectantly. And we pray relationally. We pray to our Father. Let us pray. Father, thank You that I can just say that. You're my Father. Thank you for the day you came for me at age 27 and gave me a sight of your glory and my ugliness and sin. Thank you for saving me. It's nothing that I did. It was only what you have done. I thank you for the testimony of my brothers and sisters who cry out. We're grateful for you hearing us, saving us. And Lord, but we're here. We're a mess. We're a mess together. We need, Lord, we say with the disciples, we really do. We say, Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask that you would answer that prayer, even tonight, even today with this sermon, that we would begin to understand these things and, and the Holy Spirit would stir them up so that we would commune with you more and more in prayer. Thank you that you hear us. And you're not like us, that evil fathers. Even us, even, even evil fathers can get the job done in some sense, but you do it perfectly so much more than we could ask or even think, the text says in Ephesians 3.20, in the context of prayer for power and strength to behold your glory. So really what we need today is another sight of Jesus and the glory of our triune salvation. So give us that, we ask, Lord, help us to see this great salvation and to walk in it. And Lord, as we welcome new members into this church in the moments to follow, make us to stir us up to recognize the corporate aspect of this sermon today, that we would see that in a new way, even in light of Luke chapter 11. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.